This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Not awake after that worship, you may want to check your pulse. Wasn't that so good? So, so good. Man, love it. Love it. Love this house. Love what God is doing here. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, actually, open up to Mark 13 and then 1 Corinthians 3. So I don't know how you do Bible stuff, but you, you can kind of start in Mark 13. We'll get there in a minute. Then we'll get over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Uh, and, and, and before I get into today's message, just a reminder, uh, if you were here last weekend, last weekend is what's called Answers Weekend here at New Song Church. And we uh, outlined some of what we feel like God is saying for us in 2024 related to uh, missions and related to outreach. And uh, man, God is, there, there's some awesome stuff that, that God is going to do this year. We really felt like God was calling us to a higher level of, of serving and generosity. And from the beginning, we've always been a church where we've said we don't want to just be a, a church where we come together, we have some services, and then we just kind of go about our business. But we want to be the kind of church where we're making a difference in our city, in our state, in our country, and in the world, right? That's, that's what the Bible teaches us, that this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, that we were called to be spirit-filled believers with this gospel message, taking it and extending the kingdom of God to the rest of this world. And so we, we desire to do that as a church, and so we are working to do that as a church. And so uh, if you were here last week, we talked about some of the mission trips that we're, we're going to be doing. In fact, we had an interest meeting for the, the Porta Penasco trip this morning. We're excited about that. Um, and we said that some of you, you're going to feel a call to go. And then all of us are going to have a call to sow, right? And what we said, we outlined is that this year we feel like God said, I want, we want to sow $100,000 into, uh, into the kingdom this year. And so if you guys would put that QR code up here, if you'd like to, to, to learn more about what this initiative looks like, you can see all the details of it if you scan that QR code. But let me kind of give you uh, a quick version of what that looks like. At 20000 of that is going to go to local outreach here in our city. $30,000 is going to go to our New Surrey Network partner churches. We have several mission uh, churches across uh, the world, including in Israel and uh, all over where we're, we're actually supporting them on a monthly basis. So 30000 is going to go towards helping those partners. Uh, 30000 is going to go towards Porto Penasco and building a Christian school there, which is really awesome. We're going to build that school while we're there on the mission trip. And then 15000 of that is going to go to help us plant churches in Thailand. Like how, how awesome is that? Like we get to be a part of that. And so what we're, what we're asking you to do, and we're starting it this weekend, is to, is to give towards this above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings to, to give to help us to accomplish this goal and help us to, to do this mission and accomplish these things. So um, between now and March 9th, March 9th is, is the day that we'd like to be fully funded with all of this, we're asking everyone in this church to pray and, and, to, and to give and to sow into, into this. And starting next week, we'll start giving you updates on where everything is, but, uh, but everybody's called to sow. You know, we just sang a song that said, you, uh, you will prove yourself holy to the nations through our lives, right? This is part of what that looks like. It's, it's through our generosity, through our faithfulness, that God can prove himself holy, that God can show himself to be who he is to the nations through our lives, through our generosity. So I encourage you, let's all jump in. Let's all be a part of this. Uh, and then it, just so you know, if you're giving, 
couple ways you can do it. You can do it online. Make sure when you give, though, that you, you specify that this is going to missions. There should be a little pull-down tab in the app or on the website where you can give and specify it's going to missions. Or if you're giving uh, with an offering envelope, just make a, line, or make a note in the memo line that says Answers 2024 or Missions or however you want to put that, but just specify that's where it's going. Amen? It's going to be good. Aren't you excited to be a part of a church that's not just, like we're not just a little house here, but like the world is being touched through what God is doing in this house. I love that and thank you so much in a, ahead of time for your faithfulness. I've, I've seen our church through the years be so faithful to be generous and so thank you for that. All right, Mark 13, 1 Corinthians 3, we're in a series called Fill the Earth and we've been talking about God's purpose and our assignment within that purpose. And we've been looking back over the past several weeks at some of what God was doing in the Old Testament in places like Eden, what He was doing with the, with the tabernacle, what He was doing with the temple, drawing wisdom from, from those places, which gives us insight into what He's now doing in the New Testament church with the new covenant through Christ Jesus. And what we said is, in the beginning, when God created man, He set him in this place called Eden, right? And as God is creating the world, He keeps saying over and over again, it is good. It is good. It is good. He's creating, and, he's, and as he's creating, he's establishing his it is good place. And then he, he sets Adam and Eve in this place, and his desire for them was that they were to take what he established in Eden, and they were to spread it into the rest of the world. Our main text for this series has been Genesis 1, verse 28, says this, Be fruitful, God talking to Adam and Eve, be, he's talking to mankind, be fruitful, and increase in number. Now say these next three words with me. Fill the earth. Say it like you mean it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God's assignment from the beginning was he creates Eden and he says, I want you to take Eden and I want you to expand Eden into the rest of the world. Make the whole world look like what Eden looks like. But we all know that that didn't happen, right? Adam and Eve sinned, they believed a lie, and when they sinned, they were cut off from Eden, and their relationship with God had to be adjusted. If you were here, we, in week three, we talked about how, how God wanted to be with His people. He still wanted to connect with His people, but now, because of sin, He had to create a remix, because He wanted to still connect with them, and the, and the remix of the, of the tabernacle, the remix of the, the temple, was the remix of God dwelling with His people in a sinful context. Because you see, you got to understand something about God. God is holy, right? And so unholy, sinful man couldn't connect with God like they could before sin because now because of, because of sin, we were unholy. And to step into the presence of a holy God like it would melt our face off, guys. In fact, uh, R.C. Sproul says it like this, God is so transcendent that his burning purity makes it dangerous for him to draw near to us given our sinfulness. His infinite purity is so explosive, it would annihilate us. So God still loved people. He still wants to relate to people. He still wants to connect to people. But now this has to be navigated really carefully because the power of the fullness of the holiness of God's presence was too much for, for man to be able to handle in our sinful nature. So God establishes in the Old Testament, He establishes the tabernacle, and He establishes the temple. He establishes this place where He can remix His presence to be with man in a sinful context. And it's good, but it's not great, right? And God has a better plan. And so enter Jesus on the scene. And Jesus comes on the scene and his whole, his whole goal, his whole, 
His whole plan was to reconnect and reestablish what was lost through Eden. To connect sinful man back to holy God. To die on the cross so that we could be made holy once again. Not by anything we do, but by what he's done. So that we could once again have a relationship with him. And so this kingdom expansion process that he wanted to bring about in the world can get back on track and start picking up steam. So he comes and he does this work and now we can connect with God. We can connect with each other and we can connect with his creation the way we were intended to from the beginning. So... So we've been looking back at Eden, we've been looking at the tabernacle, we've been looking at the temple, and we've been looking at what we, we see in these places that we can draw wisdom from in the Old Testament that we can now understand in a greater way what God wants to do in the New Testament age of the church. And I want to continue with that today by talking about the church as the new temple. Somebody say, the church, the church. is the new temple. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this house, for this church that we're a part of. And I pray today, Lord, as we look at your word, that you would make it come alive to us. And I'm just reminded today that this is the day. Your word says this is the day that the Lord has made. And I rejoice in that, Lord. You made this day. And your word says that, that today is the day of salvation. And so that's what I pray today, that there would be a moment of salvation for every person in this room. Lord, so for some, it's the salvation of coming to know you, surrendering our life over to you, giving lordship to you. For some of us, maybe it's the salvation of, of, of thinking the wrong way about you, thinking the wrong way about the church. But I pray today that as the word goes forth, that truth would come out of it, because your word is truth, and Jesus is truth. And I thank you, Lord, that we would walk away from this service having a greater revelation of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, what it means to be a part of the church, what it means to be a part of the new temple. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do today. We give you glory and honor and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The church as the new temple. Now, to understand this idea, we need to understand a little bit more about what the temple looked like and represented in the days that Jesus was here on the earth. Um, to the Hebrew people of Jesus' day, guys, the temple was everything to them. I mean, it, it, it meant so much to them. Um, on, on a basic level, the temple represented the place where they would come together, they would practice their faith, they would, they would, they would, they would gather and with, with God at the center of their kind of religious community and their religious practices. On a grander, more deeper level, the temple was the place where the Spirit of God lived among His people. It was the place where the Spirit of God dwelled among His people. It was this place where basically heaven and earth met, where, where they kind of overlapped. It was, the, it was the dwelling place of the presence of God in this, in this world. And guys, the temple was amazing. Like if you were, especially living in the ancient days of, 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 of Israel at the time of Jesus, like to see the temple was to see a place that was just absolutely like take your breath away, amazing. The, the, the construction of it, the beauty of it, the, the, the products and things that were used within it. In fact, I've got a rendering here of what the temple would have looked like in the days of, of Jesus. The temple sat on, on this mountain called Mount Moriah. It was 30 acres total, and it was, it was huge. It was made of these giant stones, these massive cut stones, 45 feet long, 15 feet wide. Each stone weighed between three and five tons and there were hundreds of them stacked up 160 feet above the valley below was this temple 
inside, all, all of the most amazing products were used. White marble, uh, the, the walls were lined with gold and silver. Um, it was adorned with all these various decorations and intricate carvings and columns. So the temple was massive and the temple was impressive. And to the Hebrew people, the temple was like everything. So Mark 13, I told you to turn there. We have this interaction between Jesus and some of his disciples at the temple. They're actually leaving the temple, walking down the steps, when one of his disciples kind of states the obvious. It says in verse 1, Mark 13, verse 1, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. So this disciple is kind of pointing out the obvious here. Maybe you've been there before where you see like uh, something that was created by man and you can't help but just kind of be taken back and even point it out to other people. Like a few weeks ago, um, Sarah and I were in New York. We were at a, a conference, a prayer conference. And uh, I've been to New York a handful of times, but I was born in West Texas you know, where like a, a, a telephone pole is what they call a tree there, right? Like it's flat and there's nothing around for miles. And I grew up in Oklahoma and you go to New York and it is a different, it is a different landscape. Um, and the architecture and the size and the scale, like you go into places like Grand Central Station and you're just going, this is nuts. Like the, the height of the ceiling and the size of this, like anytime I go to New York, there's going to be a moment where I, I look at Sarah and I point something out and I'm like, look at this. How did they do this? This is amazing. Look at this. And that's kind of what's happening here. This disciple is, is saying to Jesus, Jesus, look at this place. Isn't this amazing? And so Jesus' response is actually Amazing, And what he says, it says this in verse 2, Mark 13, verse 2. Do you see these great buildings, replied Jesus? He says, not one, notice, these, notice this language, not one stone here will be left on another. Not one. Remember, this is Jesus. He says the truth. He is the truth. Not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Guys, when Jesus said this, probably the, the jaws of the disciples would have dropped wide open. They, they would have, they're, they're maybe uh, been, would have been a, uh, like an audible gasp because they can't imagine how this is possible. And notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say they will fall down. Like it's not like Jesus is making a statement like, well, I know this is a big building here and this is impressive, but you know, everything decays, everything falls apart. That, that, that's not his point. He, he actually uses the phrase thrown down. And in using it, he, he says, uses a very specific Greek word that means this. He means every stone will be torn down and thrown down into the valley below. And to the audience that Jesus is addressing, where the temple is everything, through the lens of how they see God, how they relate to God, how they understand God, what Jesus is saying in this moment is this, everything you know is coming to an end. Everything you know about how you relate to God is coming to an end. And Jesus uses this specific language because that's exactly what he wanted them to understand. God is up to something new, and this is all about to change. Forty years after Jesus makes this statement, 40 years after Jesus says this is going to happen, exactly this happens. The story goes that some Hebrew rebels had risen up and had begun to fight against Rome. And there was actually this battle where these, he these Hebrew rebels defeated a Roman legion. 
And guys, that never happened. Rome was the superpower of the world. They didn't lose, and yet they lose this battle. And so Rome's response to losing is to send legion after legion after legion after legion in to squash this rebellion. And so they go in and they start going after these Hebrew people and they end up, these Hebrew rebels end up in, in the city of Jerusalem. When they arrive in Jerusalem, Rome begins to build walls around the city of Jerusalem so that no one can get in and no one can get out. So as they begin to starve them to death, then they begin to go in and start raiding them. And eventually it gets to the point where either all the rebels are dead or have been sold into slavery. At that point, the 10th legion of Rome comes in and they set the temple on fire. Now remember, the temple is this giant stone building. When they set the inside and the things inside on fire, it begins to act like almost like a giant pizza oven. Like the heat inside is so extreme that remember those walls that are made of gold and silver? That gold and that silver begins to melt. And as it melts, it begins to drip down into the cracks in between the stones and into the foundation. After the fire goes out, Roman, to obtain that gold and that silver, Rome goes in and stone by stone, they begin to rip that building apart, throwing every stone down into the valley so they can obtain all the gold and all the silver. They say that after this happened, the price of gold, the price of silver in, in, in the Roman Empire went down 50% because there was so much that they got out of this. But here's what I want you to see. What Jesus said would happen, happened. If you were to go to this site today, 2,000 years later, this is what you would see. Not one stone left on another. And the point of this was obvious. Jesus was saying, God was showing us, the old ways are no more. God is up to something new. Something new is coming to the world. Something new is coming for the world. No longer would God just relate to one specific group of people. No longer would animal sacrifices and blood sacrifices be necessary. God was doing a new thing, or as DC Talk taught us in, 19, in the 90s, God was doing a new thing. And, and here's what I want you to see. The, the days of the temple were coming to a, a, an end, but, but actually the temple wasn't going away. Listen, it was just being reinvented. 20 years after Jesus makes a statement, before the temple is torn down, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul, talking to the church of Corinth, says this, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. You with me today? He says, do you not know that you, somebody say you. Look at the person beside you say he's talking to you. You are God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in you. Say it again, you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. Why is it holy? Because Jesus made it holy. Because the blood of Jesus makes us holy. And he says, and you are that temple. Now, when we read this and we see you and you, and we think in the perspective of just the singular you, right? And, and yes, you are a tabernacle of the presence of God. God's spirit comes to dwell in you when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. God lives in you. But when Paul is writing this, he's not just talking to the individual you. He actually uses you is a Greek word that, that speaks to, to, to the plural you. In other words, you is us. You is we. We is you and we, listen, we is the church. We are the church. We as the church are now the new temple of God. All of us together. 
In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's talking about what it means to be made alive in Christ. He's been talking about what it means to be reconciled unto God, meaning that we have right standing with God. And he says this, consequently, or in other words, because you've been made right with God, because you've been born into the family of God, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And look at this, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Notice Jesus is the chief cornerstone. I'll I'll tell you more about what that means in a little bit. In him, the whole building. Notice this language and remember that temple. Remember how it was built. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So so here's what we're, we're reading here is that it's all about Jesus. The temple rises. The temple exists. The church, listen, the church has to be centered around Jesus. If Jesus is not at the center of the church, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to fly. Verse 22, and in him you too, talking about us, are, notice this, being built together. Notice there's a building together that God wants to do to become the dwelling, uh, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says this, and you are living stones. Somebody say living stones. That God, God is building into his, look at this, here it is again, spiritual temple. Here's what I want you to see. We are the temple as the church, as, as a body of believers, as Christians coming together, we are the temples. Yes, you are, you are a temple of the spirit of God individually, but we as the church are the new temple. Dallas Willard says, in the modern era, God continues to reinvent his temple through the church where believers as living stones collectively reflect his presence in the world. My friends, the church, we are the temple and the temple is important. It's important to you individually and it's important to the world around us. And it's important that we as the temple, we as the living stones come together, join together to be the church that God has called us to be. Make no mistake about it, the church is a big deal. In fact, Jesus gave his life for the church. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. One of the reasons Jesus came and died on the cross was so the church could be established. So if you're taking notes, you might wanna write this down. My fill the earth purpose is connected to my connection to the local church. I'm gonna say it again. Because Bobby got it, but I don't know if everybody else got it. (laughs) My fill the earth purpose is connected to my connection to the local church. There you go. You need the church. And listen, the church needs you. And the world needs the church. The world needs us to be who God's called us to be. You know, think about some of the teaching of Jesus, what he told us we were to do, who he told us we were to be. What does he say? He says stuff like we're called to be salt and light. He says we're called to serve others, to serve one another. He said we're called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're called to give and to support those that are in need. We're called to touch the next generation and we're called to connect generations to each other. We're called to to share the hope that's found in Jesus Christ through the gospel message of Jesus. And listen, when when Jesus made these statements, it wasn't to a select few. It was to all of us. And here's what I want you to see. The church is the God's ordained primary instrument through which all of that stuff can really be done. 
It's through the church that we can be salt and light. We can serve others. We can love our neighbor. We can give and support. We can, we can reach out and touch the next generation and connect generations to each other. It's through the church that the gospel message of Jesus Christ can really take hold within us and be expressed to the rest of the world. The church is a big deal. And so we've got two points for you this morning related to, to this idea that what we see in the pre-cross temple and what it means to us in the, pro, uh, the post-cross church of Jesus Christ today. Two, two points for you this morning. Here's the first one. In the pre-cross temple, if you were to look at the pre-cross temple, one of the things you would have, you would have seen in it that you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't look past was the divine construction of it. There was a divine construction in the pre-cross temple. In other words, the construction of the temple and the practices of the temple were built on God's standards and desires, not man's. The, the temple was, was built based on God's direction, and what was carried out in the temple was based on God's instruction. Or let me say it like this. The temple was not built around what people wanted and desired. It was built around what, what God wanted and required. So two things we see in the divine construction of the temple. Pleasing God was the goal, and, and God's word established the standard. So let me break this down for you. Pleasing God was the goal. This is how God put it to me this week. Today we live in an age where the church has a greater fear of man complex than it does a fear of God conviction. Now, when I talk about the church, I'm not specifically talking about New Song. This is actually something that we're trying to fight against culturally as a church. Because the reality of the American church today, what we see in the American church, and specifically, let's be real, in states like Oklahoma, where cultural Christianity is such a thing. When I say cultural Christianity, what I mean is like how we live is like, is like the church is just, a, it, it, we do it, but it's kind of a thing we do. It's a thing we belong to, like we belong to a tennis club or we belong to a, 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 a fitness club or we, or we cheer for the, 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 the Sooners or we cheer for the Oklahoma uh, State Cowboys or, or we cheer for the Kansas City Swifts or whatever it may be. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I got to dig. I'm, I'm bitter. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. But my point is, like, we, 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 we say that we are about the business of God, but if you were to really look at our life, you wouldn't see anything in our life that really proves lordship. We kind of treat God like just another thing that we do because our parents did it or because a lot of people around us are doing it. And what, what's happened is the church has catered to this. And the church has become more concerned with not offending man and we've stopped considering, are we pleasing God? <laughs> we've made man the goal instead of God being the goal. And in this process, like, we, we've catered to man and we've catered to the culture and we've dumbed down what it means to be a part of a church and, and the call that God's called us to call people up to. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, one thing you're going to see is Jesus was unbelievably loving. Obviously, God is love. And Jesus was, was God in the flesh. Like, he was an expression of that love. And I love how Larissa Miller put it this Friday night. If you were at Love His, it was so good. If you missed that, make sure you go back. Yes, yeah, so good. I, one of the most powerful messages. I, I was in the back, you know, as a dude. I was in the back. I was in the, in the sound booth because I didn't want to. 
But, I, but it was so good. And one of the things she talks about is how disarming the love of Jesus was with people. And it was. Jesus was so loving. But you also look at the life of Jesus, and one of the things you're going to notice is, like, he wasn't really trying to be culturally relevant. <laughs> like this thing that you hear in the church, like the seeker-sensitive movement. Jesus wasn't really like that. He didn't, he didn't you know, he was pretty honest and said some stuff. Like, like, you know, for example, eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's a powerful statement. That's not a really culturally sound statement, right? And a lot of people left when he said stuff like that. But Jesus wasn't concerned with that. He's going to speak the truth. Jesus was like, he, he, he's, <laughs> you look at life of Jesus, he called people dogs. He called people pigs, which was like big time in the Hebrew culture. He, he. He said to the Pharisees that they were blind. He said that they were evil. I don't know if you ever thought about this. I've never been called evil before. If, I was, if, you, if someone was to come up to me and say, you are evil, that would be like, whoa, evil? Like, that's a strong statement. And Jesus just threw that at him. Jesus, right? Jesus was like, he wasn't trying to fit into the culture. He wasn't trying to win the culture over. He wasn't trying to get in good with the, with the Pharisees and religious leaders. He wasn't trying to gain political authority. You don't see that in his life. Yes, he was a friend of sinners, but in, in being a friend of sinners, you also see that if they were doing stuff that was against the kingdom of God, he would call them out of it and up from it because he loved them, and that's what love does. So, so what we see in the life of Jesus is Jesus wasn't concerned about being culturally relevant, politically correct, tolerant. What Jesus concerned himself with was doing the will of the Father. John 5.19, very truly I tell you, this is Jesus talking, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. One chapter later in John 6, verse 38, he says, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Tim Keller talking about this, he, he says this, Jesus' life was marked by a commitment to God's will, not a desire for human approval. He teaches us to prioritize pleasing God over pleasing people. That's what Jesus did. But very often in the American church of today, in an effort to kind of capture crowds and capture people, we, we've kind of bought into this lie that our job as the, as the church is to just make everybody feel comfortable all the time. Now, let me say this. I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. Like, that's not my goal. Like, we want you to feel loved here. We want you to feel welcomed here. We want you to feel like you are a guest in our church and that we've been thinking about you and praying for you, because we have been. We want you to feel like we're, we're well organized, like we're working really hard to try to accomplish all that so, so we, can, we, can make, we, can ex we can be an example of the excellence of our excellent God. We have obviously want that, but, but, but in all that, hear me. Understand this. Yes, you are a guest, but you are not the guest of honor. I love you. I love you. But the guest of honor in this house is Jesus. At the end of the day, we want him here. Because if he's not here, none of this is going to matter. None of this is going to work. He is the chief cornerstone. 
A cornerstone was, was, this, was this stone. When they were building a building, it was normally they would pick out this stone. It would be a, this, the strongest stone, the most powerful stone. It was going to be the stone that kind of carried the weight of the entire building. And so they would set that stone first, and then they would align everything to that stone. That stone. So that stone was set, the cornerstone was set, and then everything else fell in line with it. Everything else was built off of it and drew strength from that stone. A.W. Tozer says the chief cornerstone metaphor reveals that Christ is the reference point for our lives. All that we do must align with him, and our individual lives are built upon his unshakable foundation. So yes, we're glad you're here. We love you. I want you to know, but this is not just about you. I'm not, gonna ju- I'm not trying to just make you feel comfortable all the time. I hope sometimes it feels a little uncomfortable because we all got to change, right? None of us are perfect. And sometimes what you need is to hear, I'm not doing this right and I need to change. God is the guest of honor in this house. We want to make him feel at home more than anybody else. Why? Because if he shows up, what's going on with you that needs to change can take place. It's if he shows up. Listen, I can't, I can't heal you. I can't save you. I can't do that. But I can introduce you to someone who can. And so the goal is to get him here because if he's here, what's wrong with you can be fixed. If he's here, what's broken in you can be put back together. If he's here, what's binding you up can, be, can set you free. Somebody should get more excited about this. This is good. So hear me. Pleasing God is the goal here. Pleasing God. Not pleasing you. Pleasing God. Erwin Lutzer says this. He says, the welcome that matters most is the welcome we extend to God in our midst. Pleasing Him should be our primary focus. And from that, look at this, from that, a genuine hospitality towards people can flow. In the divine construction of this house, pleasing God is the goal. Here's the second thing, is that God's Word establishes the standard. God's word establishes a standard. In other words, everything that was done in the temple was done by the book. It was done by the leading and, and by the standard of the word of God. The way they prayed, the way they worshiped, the way they, they, they made sacrifices, the way those sacrifices were carried out, the way they, they had the festivals and the celebrations that they had, the, the work that the priests did, everything that they did was done by the standard of God's word, by what God told them to do. It wasn't like they could just come and worship however they wanted to, do the sacrifices the way they wanted to. It was all based on God's standard. God was calling the shots. And what they did was based on what God wanted them to do and how God wanted them to do it. This is called obedience. And this is a big deal to God. And this is a big deal to the church. And yet... There's a lot of disobedience taking place within the church because there's a lot of people that don't want to submit to obedience to the word of God. When people looked at the temple, the practices they saw were, were the practices that God told them to practice. The, the standards were, were, were set by God. God. God's word was exalted above everything else. That's what they saw in the temple. And let me remind you, we are the temple. So let me ask you, if the world was to investigate your life, if the world was to pull back the curtain and look at your life, what would they see? Would they see submission and obedience to God's word exalted above all else or would they see something else? Would they see, if the world was to look at your relationships, would they see God's word, God's standard, God's call exalted above all else or would they see something else? 
If the world looked at your sex life, would they see God's word on display? If the world looked at how you serve, how you give, how you forgive, how you talk, how you treat others, what you watch, how you, how you work, how you school, how you play sports, how you conduct yourself in business. If the world was to, it's getting quiet up in here. If the world was to look, <laughs> the world was to pull back the curtain and really look at their life, would they see in these areas God's standards displayed above all else or would they see something else? Listen, we're the, we're the temple. We're called to be the church, the new temple. We're called to live at a standard that displays to the world God's ways above all else. God above all. But in order for that to be true, we have to not only know God's word, we have to obey God's word. We have to be willing to say, what God says is what I'm going to do even when I don't like it. Albert Muller says this, the world is hungry for a glimpse of God's glory. Obedience is our way of lifting the veil, allowing his radiant beauty to shine through our lives. And understand, church, when we don't do this, when we don't walk in obedience like we're supposed to, we do a great disservice to the kingdom. We do a great disservice to the fill the earth and a call that we're called to walk out. Because know this, the world that is desperately looking for answers, if they're looking for answers and they say, okay, I'm going to look to Jesus, guess what? They're going to look to His church. And when they come and they look at His church, if what they see in the church is just some kind of watered-down, cheesy, cultural Christianity version of God, that, that just kind of basically acts like them, lives like them, and does their own thing, that's not going to turn them on to the Lord. That's not going to make them want to, to give their life over to Christ. Listen, the world is looking for something radically different. And we are that. That's what the church is. We're called to live at a different standard. We're called to display something beautiful so that the world can look and say, oh man, God is in residence there. God is moving there. God dwells among his people right there. There is a God and he dwells among them. But in order for that to happen, we have to be obedient. On display in the pre-cross temple was this divine construction. And in the post-cross church, we need to lift up a standard that displays God's will and God's ways above everything else. Amen? Amen. Here's the second thing. If you looked at the pre-cross temple, you would see modeled in it and through it divine unity. How am I doing on time? Not good. All right. <laughs> One of the core values that we have here at this church is kingdom community. And that's what I'm talking about here. Back to 1 Peter 2.5, it says, You are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. We are living stones. Now, remember what I told you earlier. The temple was made up of these giant stones, right? And when these stones, when they, and they actually put the temple together, like today when we build a building with stones, be it rocks or bricks, um, we use mortar. And we, we take a brick and we lay down a brick. We put mortar on it, which is a combination of uh, cement and concrete, and, and that, that goes in and it fills in the gaps, right? And it, and it also locks everything in place. That's how we do it today. But when they built the temple, they didn't do that. What they actually did is it says specifically in Scripture they were to use cut stones, which means that they would take each stone and they would cut at each stone so that each stone would fit in with the stones around it. So there's this process of cutting away what needed to be cut away, of shaving down what was rough so that these stones could lock in together. A work had to be done. 
They had to be chipped away. They had to be shaved off so they could lock in with each other. There's this refining process that had to take place. And through this refining process, something beautiful and something powerful could be built that could stand. The process led to walls of stone that fit together perfectly, that towered in the world that people would look at, like, like the disciple does in Mark 13. And he says, look at that. That's amazing. Ephesians 2, back to Ephesians 2, it says, verse 22, In Him you two are being built together. That, that phrase built together there means that we're placed together, we're being constructed together to make up one whole. So there's this work that God wants to do to make, to make a bunch of individuals become one whole, to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. There is a building together that God wants to do in the church, a, a refining where God knocks off some of the rough edges of our life, where God shaves off some of the stuff in our life that needs to be shaved off so that we can connect with one another. We can lock into place and display something beautiful and strong. Once all these, these rocks, once all these stones were shaved down and cut together, they could display something of power and strength and unity. They created a structure where the presence of God lived and moved and where the people of God could worship together. Listen, we are living stones. We are the temple. And what God wants is that we would, 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 would live into this reality, that there's some work that God wants to do on each individual stone. There's some cutting away that God wants to do with us. There's some cutting away that God wants to do on us. There's some trimming away that God wants to do through us. And it's, it's through this process that we can come together and connect the way that we're supposed to be and assemble together to be the church God's called us to be to display something to the world. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says this, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Let us not forsake the, notice this word, assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. In other words, calling each other up. This is the idea of speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth of God's word to each other, refining each other so that we can go up to a higher standard. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, for years, growing up in church, I would hear this verse, and it was kind of like the verse they would tell you to remind you, hey, your church attendance needs to be good, right? Don't forsake the assembling together with other believers. You need to make sure that you're coming to church. Don't miss church. Like, that's how I grew up. I grew up in, the, in a world where the church still believed you should come to it every week. But the, here, here's the problem, though, is that that's really not the idea that this scripture was getting at. It's not just, hey, come attend a service. Because notice it doesn't say, don't forsake the gathering together. It says, don't forsake the assembling. And there's a big difference between assembling and gathering. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. This is a car gathered. That's what a car looks like gathered. So what you have here is you have the pieces of the car, and all the pieces are there, and they all work, and they all have their own individual value and strength. But... But how many of you know this car can't function like this the way it's supposed to? This picture is a picture of that same car assembled. Now everything is in place. Everything is put together. And now this car can do what it's called to do. And even though it's an ugly color, it can accomplish <laughs> the purpose that it's called to. Here's what I want you to see. We, we all are these individual parts in the body of Christ. And we may have value and beauty individually, but when we come together, assembled together, there's a greater value and beauty displayed. 
When you take all those car parts and you begin to rightfully connect them to each other, you fit them together, you lock them into place, now there's a greater worth, there's a greater strength, there's a greater functionality that can, that can be not only experienced but displayed to the world. This is what God wants the church to be. We all have some individual strength, beauty, and value, but our value and beauty is realized in its highest form when we are connected to one another, when we're connected to each other. But in order for this to happen, look what it says in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider. Let us consider. Have you considered your connection to the body of Christ lately? Have you considered your connection to one another? Have you considered that there are people that you need in the church and that there are people that need you in the church? We're talking about filling the earth, right? And, and, and we said that filling the earth was taking the it is good of God and spreading it into the rest of the world, right? You know, the only thing that, that God says in Genesis that wasn't good, what was it? It was man alone. He looked at Adam by himself without Eve, and he said, it's not good. We were created for connection. We were created to be joined together. Now, listen, I get it. I, I get the problem. The problem that we have, some of us have, with this idea of connection is, is in order to connect with people, we have to connect with people. And, and, you know, people, people can have some rough edges. People can be kind of hard to, and just so you know, you're a people. You got some rough edges. There's some refining to do in you. And what God wants to do is he wants you to come together. And it's in that process of coming together that all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have a problem over here. And this needs to be trimmed off. I got some, some love handle over here that needs to, needs some, I need to do some side crunch. Some, something's happening here. We got to crunch this off. This has got to be, get fit. I'm not talking, spiritually. <laughs> but there's a refining that takes place. And, and also understand that God wants to use you to refine other people, to speak the truth in love, to help somebody to go, hey, you know, over here, you need to work on this a little bit. So we got, we got to be connected. we got to be willing to connect with other people. R.C. Sproul says, The church is not a solo expedition. It's a communal journey where we walk together, encouraging and challenging one another towards love and good work. So my, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you is, don't just come to church, assemble. Don't just gather. Don't just attend the church. Be the church. Be the living stone God's called you to be. Locking in with others. Get connected. We need to be connected. Our, our, our team pulled some stats for, the, for me this week. And listen, we're doing good. We're, we're connecting pretty good as a church. But they also told me this week that as they pulled these stats, we discovered that 50% of, of new song members are not currently scheduled on a serve team. Guys, well, that, that's, that's not going to cut it. Like, we're called to something higher than that. And if you just think that you can come and you can worship and you can attend and you can tie, that's, that's great. But that's to be the temple, to display what God's called us to be. There has to be something more. There has to be something more. You need people. People need you. The world needs us to be this church. The world needs us to come together in unity and display this. So let me encourage you with a couple things. If you're not in a, in a group, would you consider getting in a group? 
You need to be connected in a group. There's something that happens when you come together in a group and you start meeting with people and you start talking to people and you start sharing your life. There's going to be some refining that takes place and it's good for you. You say, Pastor Josh, I tried a group once. I didn't, you know, it didn't work for me. And I've looked at the groups here at New Song and there's nothing that seems like it really fits for me. Okay, start a group. <laughs> but, but you need to get connected. You're, you're called to lock in with other believers. You're a living stone that's called to be connected. And there's a greater beauty that's released when you're connected with other believers. So go out in the, in the lobby or get on our New Song app and, and check out what it means to be a part of a group. Listen, you need to be a part of a serve team. There's something that happens when we lock in with each other and we come and we get in a nursery and we hold babies and we, we go in the parking lot and we wave people in and we smile at them and we say, hey, we're glad you're here and we open doors and we, there's something that happens when you're holding a camera and helping this message go out to the world and like there's, there's something, we need more people, we need you. We're doing good, but we could do better. And I'm, I just can't help but wonder, you know, we want to grow, we want to reach more people. Is it possible that maybe God hasn't sent us enough new people, more people, lost people, because some of the people he sent us aren't stepping up and doing what we're called to do? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of missing out on a, on a revival and a renewal of what God wants to do because I'm unwilling to get my hands dirty a little bit. We got to get connected. You know, go, maybe God's been tugging on you to go on a mission trip and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm real comfortable with that. Listen, it may not be very comfortable. You get on a mission trip with people on mission for like a week and you can't get away from them. You're going to be some refining and some of it needs to be done. But I think we buy into sometimes like I'm just comfortable where I'm at. I'm comfortable with this. I want to do my God thing my way. So I'm going to practice it this way. I want to practice it my way instead of saying, God, what are you saying to me? What are you calling me to? And my encouragement, don't just, don't just come to church. Don't just attend the church. If that's what you're doing, if you just show up every week, you come in and you go out week after week after week, according to the word of God, you're not doing it right, guys. And here's the thing. When we do this right, here's the best part. When we come together, with this idea of, of the divine construction taking place where we're submitted to God's ways, God's will, walking in obedience, and we're chasing after this idea of divine unity, connecting with each other, allowing God to connect us. It's through that that this divine interaction can take place with people. Divine construction and divine unity set the table for divine interactions where God begins to move among his people. And now because we've set everything in place, now the guest of honor can come in and he can do what none of us can do. He can come in and he can do the things that, that like, listen, we work hard, but we labor in vain if God doesn't build the house. But we are going to labor. We're just not going to labor in vain because at the end of the day, we're going to say, God, this is, we need you here. You're the chief cornerstone. This is all for you. Come and move among your people. And then God can come and he can move among his people and healing can take place and freedom can take place and life change can take place. But it takes all of us. You are a living stone in the temple of God. You have value. You have beauty individually. But the greatest expression of that is in our lives together, locking with one another. So my encouragement to you is be obedient to God's word. Be connected. Get connected with God's people. And let's be, build a holy structure for the guest of honor so he can come amongst us and do what none of us can do. Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today in this message? God, I pray that at the heart of this today is not, is not to make anybody feel bad. 
It's not to call us out, it's to call us up. It's, it's to draw us to conviction, which says, Lord, condemnation says you're messing up and you'll always be a mess up. But your conviction says, maybe we're not doing this right, but I'm calling you to something else and let's move forward into this. God, I pray that that would be the heart of this service today. That you would help us to move forward into a greater understanding and revelation of what you called us to. Lord, we wanna be your temple. We wanna be a part of what you're doing. We wanna fill this earth with your glory. We want to display something in this world that the world looks at and says, what is this? This is amazing. Look at what God is doing there. So I pray, Lord, that for each and every one of us, we would, we would step into this call to be the living stone you've called us to be. God, cut away what needs to be cut away. Shave away what needs to be shaved away. Help us to be that to other people. Lord, use us. Use us, Lord, to bring about your kingdom, rule, reign, and to fill this earth with your glory until the whole earth becomes a resting place for the, for the presence of God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. If you're here today and you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. I want you to know something. Jesus came and he died on the cross and he shed his blood for you because he wanted to make you holy so you could connect with God. Maybe you look at your life today and you say, I am far from holy. Listen, join the club. <laughs> we all are. But it's not our righteousness that makes us be able to connect with the Lord. It's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the work that He did. It's the cross and it's the blood of Jesus that sanctifies us. And it does such an incredible work because it doesn't only cleanse us from our sin, but when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, He comes to live in you. The Spirit of God comes to live in you. And guess what? His Spirit wants to do what's right. Some of you are struggling to do what's right because you're just trying to do it in your own strength and your own strength isn't enough. You need the Holy Spirit in you to, to say, hey, let's do the right thing, to speak to you, to draw you towards God. So if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never really, you'd say, I've never really surrendered my life over to the Lord. I haven't made him Lord. I maybe even lifted my hand in a service because I didn't want to go to hell, but I've never surrendered my life over to Jesus. We would love to pray with you and help you to do that today. Maybe you're here today and you need some healing in your body. Listen, Jesus took stripes on his back so you could be healed. We believe that. We've seen healing take place in this house over and over again. And we believe God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it for anybody, he'd do it for you. So if you're here today and you need healing, and I don't care if it's a headache or cancer, if to a to an all-powerful God, they basically mean the same thing. <laughs> so if you need healing today, don't leave today with that. If you need wisdom today, He wants to lead you and guide you in all wisdom. We'd love to pray with you for wisdom. Whatever it is, if it matters to you, it matters to God because you matter to God. And let me also say this: as I was praying over this message, I felt like God said something. There are some of you that have a problem with connecting in the church because you've experienced what's called church hurt before. There's been moments, there's been experiences in your life where somebody did something to you and now you find yourself with your, with your dukes up a little bit as you approach the church. You find yourself kind of coming to church and saying, I don't really want to connect too much because if I connect too much, I might find out something I don't want to find out or they may do to me what they did to me. And so I'm just gonna keep, keep them at an arm's length. I'm gonna kind of keep my distance here the problem is in you keeping your distance, you're not connecting like you're supposed to. And there's people, listen, not only are there people that God wants to minister to you through, there are people that God wants to minister th through you too. You, you tracking with me? There's people that need you and you're, you're stiff arming them. So don't, don't do that. Like God wants to use you to, to minister healing and life and freedom. So if you find yourself there today, 
there's some stuff that's happened in the church that's hurt you, let me just say this. The, the Bible talks about how the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse our conscience from dead works. Your conscience is your mind, which means that Jesus can heal your mind. He can, that, that dead work that was done where they hurt you, he can take that away and cleanse that and make that where it's no longer this mountain that it is in your life. He'll mow that, that down. So if that's you today, if any of that speaks to you, I want to encourage you during this time to just come down and receive ministry. So would you stand with me, church? If that's you, any of that stuff spoke to you, go ahead and start making your way towards the altars. Otherwise, let's just worship the Lord one last time as we close out here. Lord, I just thank you for this incredible day. Thank you for this call to be your church. Thank you for what you've called us to, what you've called us out of, and what you've called us to walk in, Lord. And I just pray today that if there's anyone in this room who has a need of any kind, that you would draw them to the altars or that they wouldn't leave with any form of a burden, but they would leave those burdens here at the altars today and receive all that you have for them today. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.